psychedelics are illegal not because a loving government is concerned that you may jump out of a third-story window. Psychedelics are illegal because they dissolve opinion structures and culturally laid down models of behavior and information processing. They open to us the possibility that everything we know is wrong. We don't need new laws that control our consciousness and rigidly place it in a prison. Cognitive liberty. The fact that as adults, if we're not hurting anybody else, we should have the right to explore the contours of our own consciousness without any mediation or legislation on the part of somebody else. Reject authority. Authority is a lie. Information is power. But we have to seize, seize the opportunity. The opportunity. The opportunity. I'm back after a little while of uh, not doing any uh, podcasts. Um, and uh, sorry for that. Sorry for the delay um, in releasing episodes. Uh, I was um, pretty disappointed when I wasn't able to release frequent episodes being away in Peru. And I was really excited to get back to doing that. And um, hasn't really turned out the way that uh, I was hoping, where I was going to be diving back in full force. Um, I guess uh, what I've gathered um, from many messages that I've received from people uh, regarding the show and and listening to the show is uh, that you guys really appreciate it, or a lot of you, uh, it seems, really appreciate it and really tune in. Um, when I, when I sort of open up and, and get a little vulnerable and, um, personal and just as, uh, Sharon Salzberg would say, get real. Um, (laughs) you know, I guess that that's also sort of like a nineties, uh, stick it to the man saying or whatever, like something that you would say to squares, man, get real, get bent, bite me. Some Gen X phrases. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just, um, I just got really high and it's been the first time in about seven months since, since I toked on the marijuana smoke, as Cypress Hill would say. Um, but, uh, I'm feeling really good right now and I just, uh, jumped into the pool and, uh, put some, uh, snorkel was it a snorkel no um what do you call (laughs) what are the uh goggles i guess but it was like a one of those goggle masks without the snorkel piece and was like swimming under the water and looking at the waterfall uh thing hit the pool water and the bubbles that it made and looking at my amphibious monkey self and being like wow this is really awesome and um, a lot of you people out there, and myself included, who uh, smoke cannabis or have smoked cannabis frequently, would be like, yeah, man, duh, <laughs> what's, the, what's the big deal? Yeah, you get high and life's more fun, obviously. You, you don't have to be a genius to figure that out. 
I think that's why all of us partake, right? I think that's why we all got into psychedelics in the first place and why we all, you know, think smoking cannabis is uh, enjoyable because it makes things more fun. <laughs> it just, it's, it's fun. And it's, it's not like some, you know, this isn't some grand revelation, but it came to me the other day. I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm depressed. And why haven't I thought of it? But, you know, I remember my father was asking me one time about, some, uh, you know, like we were talking about depression, because um, I suffer from lifelong chronic depression. And as most people do, actually, um, a lot of people do. And, he was, you know, he, was, he mentioned something about, yeah, you know, maybe you see someone, maybe met, try medication, you know, you try it, see if it works. and. I remember being like, at the time, I was smoking, uh, I was smoking weed every day. I was really next episoding it, and um, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, Chronic 2001 reference, by the way. Um, if you didn't know, and I was smoking every day, and I was like, I this, I don't need medication. I have medicine. This is my medicine. This actually, you know, smoking in the morning or maybe in the evening or, you know, just balancing it out and, um, you know, just, uh, just balancing it out and being responsible with it. Because I have, you know, I think you can abuse it. I mean, Graham Hancock himself said that he was abusing uh, marijuana. And, um, you know, it can, just like anything, become abusive. It could become a crutch. And I've definitely been at points in my life where it was like that. But the past year, I was, um, you know, I was, I was definitely using it in a very responsible way, uh, pretty much like once a day or maybe once every couple of days. And it really helped to, to sort of get me out of any feelings of deep, dark, uh, overwhelming depression that I have been prone to feeling. And, you know, that's really the, like, you know, I, I can attest to the power of, of this medicine, to the power of this plant as being, you know, why, something that we need in this society to, to have healthy, happy people. You know, I don't want to be medicated. I don't want to be put on a pill that numbs out the pain. And the difference is that when you get high, when you get high on, on marijuana, it kind of put it put things it puts things in perspective for you. It, it it's an introspective tool. Aside from the fact that it's fun, it also puts a, a little bit of a, a microscope on your mind and on your life, and you can look at things in a different way and say, "Oh yeah, maybe I was kind of being a dick there," or "Oh maybe maybe I've been uptight and and it hasn't really been." And you know, I I think this is. You know, this is, a, this is a tool that is here for us to use. You know, me meditation, um, breathing exercises, those are good too. But there's still things that you have to sort of will yourself to do, especially when you're very depressed like I tend to get. It's really, really hard to force yourself to do something. It's not that hard to just put some weed in a bowl and light it up and inhale. And then all of a sudden, you know you start to feel a little bit more empathy, a little bit more compassion for yourself, you know, for, for your thoughts or, you know, the ones that you're attaching to, the ones that I was attaching to.
the stories that we tell ourselves and these sorts of things. Now, the truth is that I, I, um, you know, I had been feeling uh, very disconnected, um, which was one of the reasons why I decided to go back down to Peru. Many of you have listened to this show and listened to the episode where I talked about the dark night of the soul, I think it's entitled, where I had returned from my first ayahuasca journey and, you know, sort of my life, not sort of, but my life fell apart. You know, I was working with my friends. They had let me go, fired me. Um, we ceased being friends, so I lost a, a large friend group. One of my, uh, one of the you know the friends that I was hanging out with the most at the time. I decided to stop going on stage and doing stand up comedy, and um, my girlfriend and I had split up, and I and so all of these things really impacted me, and I went into this dark hole. And it's, it's, you know, when you go into this place, it's, it's like you lose track of all possibility. You lose track of any, you know, sense of a future or hope of, of digging out of it or ways or tools. You don't have the emotion. You don't have the emotional, like, capacity to, to know that there is another side. At, at least that's how I felt. And um, it, it was like no matter what anyone said, what anyone did, these things cause me, you know, and I think there's, there's biological, you know, studies have shown or, or, or science history proves biologically humans are developed to live in tribes. When, some, when, when you get excommunicated from a tribe, fired, you know, relationship ended, lose some friends, these sorts of things, it's like being left out in the woods uh, alone. It was a, it's a, you know, kind of a biological indicator that like you're going to die because of, of loneliness, isolation. We're social creatures. We really do need each other. We need tribes. We need communities of, of tightly knit, you know, well-bonded individuals. And so, you know, in tribal hunter-gatherer Aboriginal societies, if you were excommunicated from the tribe, it was, you know, a good indicator that you were going to be out there alone on your own and, and more susceptible to, to death. So that's sort of like biologically imprinted in us. Um, so when these things happen in, in modern times, we still have that feeling like, holy shit, we're going to die, you know, and it does feel like it's the end of our world, the end of our life. You know, all the things that we were familiar with and used to, all the friends that we had and the relationships that we had and the, and the tight-knit bonds and the community and the sense of support all go away. And then there's uncertainty about the future and that creates anxiety. And then so, you know, you're, you're depressed and you're lonely and you don't want to spend time with anyone. So then you start to, you know, get into habits maybe that, where you're abusing substances or, or, you know, in my case, like smoking cigarettes and drinking more. And then that causes you to just be irritable and be an asshole. I was, you know, I definitely had a tendency to, to be an asshole and to, to be that way. And then that causes people not to want to hang out with you. And then you spiral more into a depression. And then it's just this cycle that keeps going on and on and on. Now, you know, this, this sort of thing has been going on my whole life. I think when I was, when I was a kid, you know, from by all accounts of what, what people say, it's, you know, my parents and everyone, it's like when I was born, I just pretty much from the second I was born, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. And that was it. You know, I was like, very, I very much had my own mind. I, I knew what I wanted to do and I wasn't going to take it any other way. Um, 
and that created a lot of tension in my household. You know, my, my family, my parents didn't really get along so, so well. And so they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of trouble. And, you know, I think a lot of the troubles and the issues that they had and, and still to this day have uh, to a lesser extent is the fact that they've sort of bought into this lie of the American dream, this, this entire life lie that if they did all these things, if they got a house, if they got married, if they had kids, if they had a car, if they, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, things were going to be wonderful or things were going to be nice, maybe the way that they were when they grew up in, in a different time with their families and their parents in the 50s and 60s. And I think that was a different time. You know, those were World, World War II veterans uh, coming back from the war and, you know, buying in on this idea of the American dream and the man works and the woman stays home with the kids and, you know, you have a family and the white picket fence and all that. And, you know, and then everything is going to be fine and dandy, you know, just pay your taxes and be a good citizen and everything's going to be fine. And I think that creates a lot of stress and a lot of tension for people. And I think we see that, you know, develop where there's divorces or fathers walk out on families or whatever the case may be. But my parents were fighting and at each other's throats all the time. And I think it's because they, you know, they really had to live up to this idea of who they thought that they should be, who the society thought they should be, who their families thought they should be, you know, the obligations, uh, the commitments that they had to each other and to, um, the idea of creating this nuclear family and all these things. So they would fight with each other and it was very, you know, it was, it was tough. It was, it was a tough upbringing. I had both my parents, none of them were, you know, they're not drug addicts, they, they're not alcoholics, but they, you know, had their problems and it was rough. It was really rough. It would, it would be really dark and, you know, and, um, you know, I come along and I have this response where, you know, I, I am trying to sort of heal myself by what Gabor Mate talks about. Uh, you know, we develop these sorts of coping mechanisms when we're children, we're in pain, and then we decide to alleviate the pain by doing something. Like, for example, uh, if you have AD, if you're diagnosed with ADHD, like I was, it's because you're in the present moment and it's too painful to be in the present moment right? Like I'm in this household, my parents are screaming, yelling, arguing, fighting. You know, there's tension, there's stress, there's anxiety. So I don't want to be in the present moment. So I do anything possible to distract myself from being in the present moment. And that is a coping mechanism, a coping mechanism to escape the pain, get out of the present moment, go somewhere else, do something else, put your attention on something else. And, um, you know, that can, that can turn into forms of addiction. Um, and in his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, he talks about that. And there's other people that talk about this as well. Johan Hari, who wrote a book, Chasing the Scream, about the uh, drug war, and a book that I just finished called Lost Connections, uh, about depression, talks about this as well. So, so that, you know, so I just, I basically got into a lot of things to try and get out of the present moment and escape. And, you know, I wish those things had been constructive things, but they were just more destructive things, more things to alleviate my pain. Drugs, alcohol, you know, sex, pornography, things like that. And, um, you know, in a healthy way, it's, it's okay. But in a, when they're used as an, in an unhealthy, abusive way, and they become these habits that we, we cling to for attachment, 
um, attachment to something that makes us feel less alone and makes us feel like our pain goes away, that that's where it becomes unhealthy. You know, and Sebastian Younger talks about this in his book, Tribe, like children need connection with adults, skin to skin contact. They need to be sleeping in the rooms with uh, adults in the way that they did in tribal societies where the whole sort of a couple, you know, families would sleep in a room together and the parents would embrace the child as they slept and, and these sorts of things, or at least sleep on top of them or near them or next to them. And in in our world, you know, we separate the child. We put him in his separate room in this crib. And this is when children latch on. This is why children latch on to blankets or stuffed animals, is because they need something to give them this cozy, warm sensation of not being alone and and being attached to something. We really, we really need each other, really, really badly. The idea that that we can get along in this world without a deep honest, true human connection is a, is a lie. And I would argue that all of the institutions, all of the, the power institutions in our society function on, on isolating us. They, they operate in, in a way that uh, increases the, uh, the chances that we are separated, we're fractured, we're divided. When we're separated, fractured, and divided, then they can, you know, come in and they can sell us things. They can try and fill those, those voids that can never really be filled with, with the thing that we yearn for the most, which is that real, true, honest, good, um, deep connection with other human beings. And, um, you know, I, 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 I just, uh, you know, I think that I have such a strong, I guess, dark side, if you will, or, or propensity to, to lean towards both extremes, um, that it's been something that I've been, you know, have learning how I have to learn how to live with this and function with this and integrate this aspect of my personality in a healthy way, this depression. In Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, he talks about you know, this false story. Uh, the false story is this claim that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in our brain, and that the primary solution is that we need chemical solutions like antidepressants. And he argues that that's not the case. He makes compelling arguments that that's not the case, that in fact there's nothing wrong with us, you know, there's everything wrong with the environment in which we're in. It makes sense. Depression is actually a natural response to our environment. It's the sanest reaction we have, you know, and um, it's, an, it's like a, a, putting out your, your human antenna and being able to pick up on a, frequen, a frequency that's telling you something. You know, it's this message that's being communicated to you that's saying something's not right here. Something isn't going right. And I think with a lot of things in this world, we want to cover up that feeling and say no. And I think that's what antidepressants do is they cover up that feeling and they say, you know, this is, you know, let's, let's, let's get rid of this sensation. Let's get rid of this interpretation of your environment being not right. And let's help you adjust to the environment, you know, and I think it was, yeah, it was um, uh, Krishnamurti who said, it's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a sick society. Um, and that's, that's really the whole goal here with people who are 
talking about being depressed and people that have anxiety and, and have these, uh, these crippling um, issues is that in our culture, we want to get, we want to say, oh, that's a problem. There's something wrong with you. We need to get you readjusted to this culture, to this society. And, you know, it's, um, it's a tough one, right? Because for me, I want to function. I want to be a functioning human being. I want to be excited to do this podcast and to reach out to guests and have interesting connections with people and, and conversations and, you know, really get fully behind the thing that I care most about, or at least the thing that I say that I care most about. But when that depression comes in and it gets me and it gets a hold of me, I don't have that feeling. I have a feeling like it's all fucked. Like it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. I don't want to do any of this stuff. I don't enjoy the podcast anymore. I don't enjoy reaching out to people. I don't enjoy conversations. And it's not a conscious decision. It's not, you know, it's not a feel. It's hard to describe to people who have not experienced depression, but it's an overwhelming sense of numbness. It's not that there's. Uh, it's not like, oh, there's something to be sad about and I'm rationally responding to something that, to be sad about. It's that, you know, I remember someone was talking about this study where they had these three plants and one of the plants people watered and they took care of it and they said nice things to it. The other one, they, they you know, hit it and they threw things at it and they were angry to it. And then the third one, they just neglected. And the one that wound up the worst was the one that was neglected. The one that had no, nothing, that nobody paid any attention to. And that's the sort of feeling, if I could describe a feeling of what uh, my depression feels like, it feels like that. It feels like this just nothingness. No purpose, no future, no passion, no love, no joy. It's just blah. And in the world that I'm living in right now, it's really, really difficult for me. I don't have people directly around me that I could really connect to on an honest level. And what I mean by that isn't really necessarily setting aside some time to talk with somebody, but just to sort of be real. And, you know, when, when someone's like, hey, how are you doing? How are things? You know, I think there's a tendency for us a lot of the time to just say, yeah, everything's good. And, yeah, doing good. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we sort of put on this mask that we wear when we go out in public or when we, when we interact with others, especially people that we're not really, really close to. And, you know, the truth for me is right now, I don't have many people around me that I'm really, really close to um, directly, you know. And, you know, we really do need that. And so, you know, I wanted to do this podcast today, uh, today because I felt... You know, I felt like I, I, needed to, I needed to get this out. You know, I needed to talk about this. And I think that, um, you know, I feel really grateful that I have an audience that wants to hear this. Um, so I decided, you know, why hide from them? Why hide from you guys? Why, why not talk about what I'm going through and what it's like and what's going on in my life? Um, and I, and I appreciate you all for, for listening to that. You know, I think, um, you know, for me, I just, I just don't want to feel the way that I've been feeling anymore. It's, it's really, um, it's really tough. And, 
you know, this is, uh, this is, um, something I think that has been going on for me for a little while. And I think that what happens is that my ego really gets very big. And I think that I can handle it. I don't need to do all the, the, the work. I don't need to stay committed. I don't need to, you know, fight to sort of, um, or maybe it's, I don't necessarily want to fight. And I think a lot of the times that's what it feels like, is it feels like it's a battle every day to just be in a positive state of mind, in a good mood. <clears throat> and a lot of that is, I, I feel that I, I take on so many things. I think on one of, this, one of these podcasts I talked about, the way that I sort of look at the world is sort of through those glasses that the guy, that Rowdy Roddy Piper gets in the movie They Live, where he puts the glasses on and he sees through the illusion. He sees the, the marketing material and what's the message behind it. Obey, consume. You know, he sees the money. This is your God. You know, these sorts of things. For whatever reason, my, you know, my filter of consciousness is, is what I'll call it because I don't know what to call it. My filter of consciousness is just like blasted open. And I tend to see the world in that way all the time, which really makes it hard for me to sort of accept this reality. And, you know, it, it, come, it, it, it happens with everything, right? From the moment I wake up in the morning, um, you know, to the moment I go to sleep, every single thing that I interact with, I'm looking at it through those they live sunglasses and seeing the the you know seeing through the illusion and seeing the thing that's actually going on and it really it 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 really um it makes it difficult to see to accept you know the this life and to accept like the the joys and the pleasures and see the silver linings and look on the bright side and and be you know, more in a positive mind frame. I have a tendency to get overwhelmed with, my God, like, you know, everything is a lie, you know, I'm saddled with, you know, student loan debt and college is a scam and, you know, um, I just, you know, I can't, uh, like, I don't, you know, I have money, I don't, I have money issues or I need to, you know, put out more episodes of the show and then I need to market. And it's just like this overwhelming you know, thing of all these aspects, all these ideas that start coming in um, about, you know, the books that I'm reading and the ideas that I'm getting about society and the way that things are structured and, you know, depression and mental illness and emotional health and all this stuff. And it feels almost overwhelming to me um, because I don't really know what to do with it all. You know, I feel like this, I feel almost like a a, like lost hope in humanity. Like I don't have faith that we're going to pull through, that we're going to make it as like a species when all around I see divisiveness and yelling and arguing and, you know, people online. And, and that I made a decision to take social media apps off my phone. And it was a big decision because I'm very addicted to my phone. Again, it's just another avenue. It's another thing to say, hey, 
come over here, look at this. Forget about your present situation. Forget about, you know, the the prison that you're living in and be distracted by some guy getting, you know, his some guy getting his nuts eaten by some by a cat on YouTube or something. You know, it's like so whatever, you know, I'd 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 be on Instagram, I'd find myself scrolling through all these stories and I'm and I'm, you know, wasting like an hour and a half. What am I doing? Right? It's just like this is just a distraction. This is something that's taking me out of doing something like reading a book, you know, working on this show, communicating this message, I suppose, that I feel so, uh, you know, that I feel is so important, you know, this, this, this really crucial message to, to broadcast and to get out there. And, you know, I don't, I'm not really quite sure exactly, um, it, you know, why that for whatever reason, you know, I'm doing the thing that I'm doing now. I never really in a million years would have thought that I would be doing this. I just, it just wasn't in my, uh, wasn't, it wasn't in my perception of who I, who I am or who I would be or, you know, and, um, but for, you know, for whatever reason, I do gravitate towards these things. I, I am in an unfortunate circumstance where I'm not necessarily an academic. I'm not necessarily a comedian, although I tend to take that perspective more often than not. Um, I'm just like a, a, a guy that talks. <laughs> and, you know, I, I suppose that if I want to um, reach more of an audience or if I want to sort of have more credibility underneath the, the sort of ideas that I talk about and things that, that I learn about and then want to share that I should probably do something like write a book or, or do something to kind of take it to another level. Um, but it makes it really, really hard to do that when this depression really comes in and gets a hold of me. And it's been something that's affected my life and it's affected jobs, it's affected, affected friendships, it's affected relationships. And it's not only the depression that comes in, but it's also the, the anger that I have that I've been dealing with my whole life as well. So you get this anger, you get this depression, you get this resentment, you get loneliness, you get disconnection, I'm, I'm detached. And that's just a, a, a spell for, for chaos and madness and destruction. And it really, it really feels like that. I feel like a nihilistic, you know, um, person when I'm in that state. It's just, I just feel like I don't care, you know. And to be honest, I have suicidal thoughts, you know. I, I, I don't, I, I, I wouldn't ever take my own life. Um, but the, I have the sort of philosophical, I sort of entertain philosophically the idea of ending one's life. You know, if, if there is this sort of suffering, if we are living in this sort of prison and I can't really find a way to, to make it work out and to make things seem like it's okay to feel okay and to get the you know, to produce the sort of life that I want to produce, then, you know, I guess rationally it does make sense to, to exit from this world. You know, Alan Watts has talked about this. He, he's brought up Camus, uh, Camus have, having said that, uh, you know, the only real philosophical question in life is sh to go on living or not, you know, is, and Alan Watts says, we have to decide, is the game worth what does he say? Is it worth the candle? I think he says, is it, yeah, is the game worth the candle? Is it worth the, the juice? You know, is it worth it? You know, and I, and, I, and I always come to the conclusion that it is, right? Because you have to 
you put your you put things into perspective and i think that smoking cannabis helps us do that helps me do that you know getting out of my head quieting that that rigid you know uh tyrant in my mind that ego in my mind quieting that guy coming into a position of having some perspective feeling some gratitude and then feeling some confidence to to keep going on um you know, and I have to say, you know, the, the, this, the death of one of the people that uh, has inspired me the most, um, Anthony Bourdain, was, uh, it really shook me, you know, it really shook me because here we have somebody who, in my, in my opinion, has the best job in the world. You know, he's a cool dude with good musical taste, good taste in movies and literature. Um, you know, it seems like the, the, the kind of guy that you want to just hang out with, have a beer with, smoke a joint with, travels the world, eats at the best restaurants in the world, at, goes to amazing exotic cultures and locations, is one of the most epic storytellers of our time, has like a, a daughter, a girlfriend, a great life, and he decides to hang himself. Now, when that first happened, I didn't want to believe it. And I was saying like, maybe he was murdered. You know, he, he put out some tweets that were sort of weird, you know, a couple of weeks before he tweeted, um, you know, I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton. I've been on the opposite end of her operatives wrath and it ain't fun. And, you know, people were saying that Asia Argento, she was one of these people that was very vocal and very critical of Harvey Weinstein and you know, all this sort of stuff. And so people were drawing a lot of connections to that. And I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe he did get murdered, right? And what does that tell you? Well, that tells you that people who speak truth to power get killed for it. And this isn't, this isn't you know, this isn't wacky conspiracy stuff. This is what happens in our world. If you watch the documentary Wormwood on... Oh, excuse me. If you watch the documentary Wormwood on Netflix, you'll see a story about a man who the CIA said, uh, or the government said, rather, uh, that he committed suicide by jumping out of a window in New York at a hotel. His son wasn't buying that story, right? Went on this whole investigation to find out what his father, a scientist contracted by the government and working for the CIA, why, was he, why did he commit suicide, right? Why? He didn't buy it. What, what really happened? Well, the end of the story, they, spoiler, spoiler alert, at the end of the story, they wind up revealing that the CIA killed his father by hiring some thugs to come and push him out of a window because he was a dissident. He knew things that the CIA was doing, and he was gonna, they didn't know if he was going to blow the whistle. He had expressed concern. He said he wanted to quit. And, you know, you got to watch the documentary. It's fascinating. It's really amazing. Errol Morris did it, and it's a docudrama, and Peter Sarsgaard plays the scientist. It's really amazing. Go watch Wormwood on Netflix. It's all about the, the, the CIA conducting experiments with LSD, but the real story behind that, and, and, and you'll be, you know, you'll be in for a real treat watching that. But this is not a, you know, this isn't like some fantasy. It, you know, this isn't stuff of the James Bond world and, and you know, 
movies and, and crime novels and things like that. This is actually a fact of what happens in our lives in this reality. You know, if you speak truth to power, if you upset people in high positions that have interest in profit and you threaten that profit or in, interest in status and you threaten that status, you will probably pay the price. And there's other examples in history that we can, we can draw from. But usually it's always the people that are speaking up and speaking out and speaking truth to power that, that people want to take down. That's, so there's that possibility, right, where I questioned, I said, you know, well, maybe that is the case, right? But then maybe he did kill himself. And if he did kill himself and he did suffer from this depression, why? And what does that tell you about our society? What does that tell you about our hierarchy of values that, that our culture and our society sells us as being things that we should, we should strive for? You know, a couple days earlier, uh, Kate Spade had committed suicide by hanging herself. Billionaire, right? Uh, Empire commits suicide. Anthony Bourdain, you know, the dream job. Millionaire, multimillionaire commits suicide. So if that is the case, if these people did commit suicide, what does that say about our cultural institution uh, that we have here in the West and what we should be striving for? These things that are supposed to be making us happy aren't making us happy. And these, you know, these billionaires and millionaires are taking their own lives because they're in pain, they're suffering, they're not happy. So it turns out, you know, getting a good job and making money and you know, working really hard and striving for these things, that doesn't produce, you know, that doesn't always produce happy people. And sometimes people kill themselves because of it. So either way, it's fucked, right? You look at it either way and it's fucked. If these people are being murdered because they're being taken out because they're dissidents and speaking truth to power and, you know, upsetting people and causing enemies of people that you don't want to have as enemies, well, that's fucked. And if they're committing suicide, that's even more fucked because they're going through, you know, some depression, some, some issues, and there's nobody there for them. There's, they feel like there's no way out. And they've achieved everything that you could achieve in this world that we, that we suppose, you know, that, that, this, that our society tells people that the things that they should strive for and they should value. And those people who are doing it, who are making it, who are getting there, who are rising to the top, are taking their own lives because they're still empty. They're still a void. So either way you look at it, and then, you know, for me, looking at that and reading these books about depression and, and tribal societies and modern society and, and all these things, it just, it was making me really, really, really just feel like there's no hope here. There's just no hope. And I find myself in a position where I'm not necessarily, you know, doing too well financially and you know, I have some things that I need to take care of that are sort of weighing on me. And, you know, I'm thinking about what am I going to do? What are the next steps? What are my next moves? These sorts of things. What direction do I want to go in, et cetera? And, you know, I'm looking at the sort of messages that I want to be communicating, what I feel is the most important thing right now. And I have this show where I, you know, I talk about psychedelics and I talk about, you know, liberty centric issues and, you know, where I guess, the main, one of my main things that I, you know, so, so what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that I had, I've been trying to think about, well, what should I communicate? What should I talk about? What should I say? No, I, I don't feel like I'm ready. I feel like a fraud. I feel like I'm not informed enough. I'm not, you know, an academic. I don't, I'm not credentialed. You know, what, what, 
you know, what kind of things am I putting out there? What kind of things am I saying? You know, how do I feel about psychedelics? What's my opinion about this and that? And I was just thinking, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I don't know what, I don't know what to say. I don't know where to go. And then I remembered, well, I get a lot of messages from people saying, hey, I really liked that episode that you did, that solo episode on mental health, or I really liked that, you know, that you got really vulnerable and you went to this place and you opened up and you talked about these things. And I said, fuck it, why not? Why don't I just turn the microphone on and start talking about this? You know, start talking about my experience and what's happening. And I suppose if I'm credible enough to talk about anything, it's that. So I will. And I am. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so I'm, I'm trying to really figure out what to do for myself. What would the best plan of action be for someone like myself who gets into this depressive state and whose ego happens to be such a cocky son of a bitch that what happens is when I get into that state, or when I, before I get into that state, I say, don't worry, I have a handle on this. I know what to do. If I just, you know, smoke a little weed every now and then, or if I just try and commit to a meditation schedule. But oftentimes I fall off the, the path. And I, you know, once again, I'm coming back to this sort of notion of, well, what, am, what is it exactly that I'm supposed to do? You know, because coming, you know, reading this, a uh, book by Johann Hari, Lost Connections, you know, where he's talking about this, the, the ability to sense pain and the solutions for depression are, you know, being connected. Like he goes through, he has, um, he has uh, nine causes of depression. He says that it's disconnection from meaningful work. Two is disconnection from other people. Three is disconnection from meaningful values. Four is disconnection from childhood trauma. Five is disconnection from status and respect. Six is disconnection from the natural world. Seven is disconnection from a hopeful or a secure future. Eight is the real role that our genes play. And nine is the real role of brain changes. And so, you know, when I'm looking at that list, when I'm reading this and I'm thinking about these things, you know, I'm going through that and I'm saying, okay, well, meaningful work. Well, as of right now, I'm not necessarily working full time on anything. And I have this show. And this show doesn't necessarily pay the bills. So there's, you know, there's this sort of um, depression that comes on from that, right? It's like, oh shit, you know, there's this meaningful work that I want to be involved in, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not, you know, uh, growing at the rate that I would want it to grow at. And, oh, now I'm depressed. And then it's like, well, you know, what, what, what else can I do? And et cetera. And then, so then there's disconnection from other people. You know, I, I, I'm sort of at this moment right now, I'm not, uh, around like a tight-knit group of friends. I'm not with a lot of people that I can just be real with and honest with and live, you know, in, in a true moment with. Um, disconnection from meaningful values. 
you know, when, when I get into that depressive funk, I feel like the, the values that I have just go right out the window. And the only way that I, the, the, the best way that I can think of to help myself is, the, is like immediate uh, masking of the pain, which comes in the form of, for me, like food and cigarettes. And, and alcohol sometimes. Disconnection from childhood trauma. Well, I feel that I, I, I've sort of, you know, connected with that and I've worked through some of those things. But now it's about integrating that experience and, and, and integrating that sort of process, that, that, that time period I went through when I was working with ayahuasca, that I was really trying to connect with the root causes of a lot of my ailments and, and traumas. And that's still, it's still tough. It's still really tough, you know, because you go away, you go to a retreat center, you have this profound experience, you feel like your life has been changed and you want to, you know, at the time you have these ideas. And for me, I was very hopeful. I was very like, when I get back, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell, you know, I'm going to tell the people in my life who mean a lot to me that I really love them. You know, I'm going to have these honest conversations with these people. I'm going to you know, be, and you know, I was just filled with all these ideas. And then when I get home, I realize that it's actually the, the environment that we're living in and the sort of values that the people that I'm trying to associate with friends, family, the things that they've bought into, it makes it really, really difficult to open up to somebody and have uh, an honest moment and have a good conversation or really connect. You know, I'm, I'm finding that very difficult. You know, the, sort of idea of being immersed in a community that is my family uh, sounds like a good idea. So I'll attend a, a family function only to feel really alone and really disconnected because nobody really wants to go to the places I want to go to. Nobody really wants to or has the time or has the attention span to really get into the zone that I want to get into, the community sharing environment that I, that I want to, to be a part of. You know, I was recently at a Father's Day thing, and it's like all these, all the kids are running around. My, that no one's really able to really stay in the present moment and have a meaningful conversation with you because they're all worried about the kids and they're having conversations about the kids and this thing and that. And everyone's distracted. You know, my dad's on the grill. My mom's like, "I told you to turn the chicken. Make sure it's not, you know, make sure it's cooked through." I know what I'm doing. I've grilled for thirty years. You know, they're like the Costanzas. So just there's this like level of stress and anxiety in the atmosphere and I feel there's no opening here for me to jump in there's there's no room in here for me to to be around people that are you know sort of grounded and and open and ready and willing to have fun and enjoy life it just seemed like a very hectic environment so there was that disconnection there and you know I'm not I I I don't have a good relationship with my mother and so I'm not really speaking with her and that, you know, that's, that's definitely difficult because in one way, you know, it's like, I love her. I care about her. I would, I would love to have a normal relationship with her. However, she is somebody who is, uh, suffering herself. So it makes it really, really difficult. And, you know, I made a promise to myself or not a, really a promise, but it, it came to a point in my life where I was like, you know, there was an argument that I had with her and I finally realized like, you know, this is it. Like she's, she's just, she's the way that she is. And it's really, it's really sad. It's really unfortunate because she's suffering and she has no willing to open up 
to the possibility. She's not willing to open up to the possibility that it might be something that's going on in her life that she needs to readjust or, you know, something like that. There's no ability there for her to really, you know, look at it as, as something that is her problem. She puts it all on the outside world. So that makes it really, really difficult. It was really difficult for me. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to stop worrying about trying to, to help her or, you know, butting heads with her, arguing with her. And I'm just going to, you know, sort of disconnect. And obviously there was trauma there from, from growing up. So it's like, you know, there's still some unresolved stuff that it's pretty difficult to work through. The next thing is disconnection from status and respect. Well, you know, I, I think that I found myself to be in some pretty good, in a pretty good place of status and respect when I was doing stand up and I was doing my other podcast, part of the problem. And I was on this network and I was selling advertising for them. And, you know, I, I also had that job where I was working with my friends and even though it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do, I still, I had status, I had respect, I had connection. And, you know, when depression creeps in, it's this signal that like, something's wrong here. You're in pain. There's something that's not quite right. And so, you know, making the shift away from, from those things cuts those connections off. And then that causes depression to creep in and take over. But it was a necessary step for me in order to go on my own journey to evolve and to sort of do the things that I feel more connected with. However, the journey itself is, is pretty rocky and bumpy. And what happens is when, when, I, when, I'm, when you're someone like me who's really prone to getting dragged under by that depression, it feels like, you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's multiplied um, and like there's no way out. Right. So it's like, it's, it's always this sort of, uh, sort of catch 22 sort of thing. It's like, well, in order to not have depression, it's like, you need to have, you know, meaningful, uh, you know, you need to have status and respect. Well, in order to have status and respect, you need to not have depression. So it's like, okay, I'm in this sort of weird state of like, how do I get back to baseline? How do I, you know, how do I get situated where I'm not self-sabotaging and where I'm, when I'm not diving in to the, when I'm not getting whole, you know, sucked under disconnection from the natural world. So, you know, this depression's coming on. I'm living in New York city. There's no natural world there. And it's, it's just like there you're in, I'm in this machine, you know, I'm in this, this, this matrix. And a lot of people can, can handle this. A lot of people can handle this because they medicate, you know, I think it's one in five Americans are on some sort of, uh, I think one in five Americans are on antidepressants for either depression or anxiety, and one in three Americans are medicated with some form of prescription pill. And on top of that, think about all the people that need to go out and drink and all the people that need to smoke and all the people that need to uh, you know, do whatever they need to do in order to cope with the existence, take, whether it's take Adderall or, you know, whatever to focus at work or just whatever, so whatever people need to do to escape this, this reality, escape the circumstances or to cope with the circumstances we're in. And, you know, I, I sort of was like, no, I want to, I want to feel this circumstance that I'm in. And by, you know, when people are, are coping with social media, Instagram followers, you know, alcohol, these sorts of things, then they can live in a city like New York and they can, you know, really forget about 
paying attention to the underlying root causes of why they might feel unhappy or why they might feel the need to constantly compulsively check their social media feed for updates and notifications and likes and these sorts of things. You know, all of this, you know, advertising to buy these things, do this stuff, you know, the, the political discourse, uh, everybody's at each other's throats. It's all just like a sucking distraction away from what's the real, what's really going on here. And so I think by someone like me who's not letting himself get distracted by those things, who's looking out at New York City and saying, my God, this is a fucking machine here. I got to get out of this place. There's that disconnection from the natural world. Being in the natural world, being in nature, the months that I spent in Peru was wonderful. I mean, it was like, it was beyond wonderful. It, 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 it's, it is a medicine in it itself. You know, being in nature, getting exercise, being around people that you care about, having a community bond, uh, having that community bonding with people, getting into deep conversations with people about really serious things and fascinating things and mind expanding things and having fun and being silly. And, you know, that's where all the real juices of life really are. And, and, you know, I was looking at that situation and being like, damn, like I, I, it's so hard to replicate that where I am right now. You know, I can't, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be in the Amazon rainforest disconnected and just with the people you're with and eating the, the food that you're eating and everything. It's, it's, you know, when we talk about working with psychedelics and we talk about all these things that could be very beneficial to you, I don't think it's very beneficial to talk about psychedelics in this vacuum of like, well, it can help people with depression and then we'll just send them on their merry way into this society that's functioning so toxically. I think it's 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 important to say toxically is that a word yeah, yeah I suppose I I think it's really really important to say that the environment plays a massive part in that and that one of the most important things when working with psychedelics and when you know working with ayahuasca specifically in my case is the community atmosphere and the environment that you're in that's if I went to this retreat center uh and there was no ayahuasca drinking but there was everything else that was there it would still produce, a, if not the same, a very close, similar effect. Living in the natural world, exposed to sunlight, no light pollution from electricity, not being connected to the, to the constant buzzing notifications of the fear-based you know, media paradigm that everyone seems to be existing in nowadays, um, not really worrying about uh, you know, stressing about bills and finances and this and that, and just being totally connected with the people that you're around, you know, spending time to, to take in the little moments of butterflies flying around and meditation classes and yoga, reading books and just at ease, at ease. The way that for 300,000 years, we have been, you know, this version of anatomically modern human beings. And it's only up until about 10,000 years ago, the majority of our history we spent in tribal societies and communities and tight-knit groups with tight social bonds, you know, living off the land in, in nomadic hunter-gatherer sort of tribal societies. And we look at that and we think it's primitive and we think it's archaic, but the, they, you know, the, these 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 people they didn't have depression they didn't have anxiety they didn't have suicide they didn't have a sense of hopelessness and and despair and all these sorts of ailments that we have in our modern world we wonder where does this all come from ADHD and drug addiction and abuse and you know all this this stuff where does it come from 
it comes from our modern world being this cage that we live in, right? And, and, and the fact, the reason that we get depression, the reason that we feel these feelings is because it's a response to our environment. It's a response to what is happening. There's, oh, there's something wrong. Something bad is happening. You know, we have that, that feeling when, there, when if we're attacked, right, we get the fight or flight kicks in. Well, this is like, you know, having this, this sort of chronic um, epidemic of, of depression and, and what we call mental illness is like we're being attacked all the time, but we never know where the attack is coming from or what to do about it. And it's just this constant barrage. You know, when, when, when you encounter pain, the brain responds. So it's like, you know, and what happens is we, we can be, you know, we can get pushed in this response state. But, you know, some of us can stay, will stay there. So like, but really what happens is if something goes wrong and then the brain responds and it's pushed, in, it's pushed into this corner and it only is able to get out when there's a flexible escape hatch that's provided for it um and if you know if the world keeps keeps causing that on you then you'll just sort of stay in that place and uh in johan hari's book lost connections he mentions that and he talks about how your genes can make you more vulnerable to depression and anxiety but they don't write your destiny and i think that in my case i am somebody who genetically am predisposed to being way more vulnerable, way more susceptible to the lures of, of, of dark, you know, depression. Um, but I can also interpret that as being a, a gift, you know, and I think it was McKenna who said that, um, you know, that the price of sanity in this society is a certain level of isolation and loneliness. And, you know, you, you can, you know, that is the case. I mean, it's almost like it's the matrix right in front of you. It's saying, take the red pill or take the blue pill. You, if, if, you know, if I was presented with that option, right, it would be like, okay, let me take the blue pill and let me go back to this world, you know, and I hate to put it in this way of saying like, oh, like, oh, I'm awake and there's people that aren't awake, but it's like, you know, I look at my life and I look at the person that I was when I was like, say, you know, 22, you know, I had sort of like a sneaking suspicion that maybe there was something more. And I think that's why it led me to the path that I'm on. But I was a vastly different person then whose reality and perception was way smaller and, you know, the very idea that I'm, that I'm speaking about and the ideas that I'm speaking about, it never would have entered my, my, my mind back then. You know, I, I would have been one of these people that if some, you know, I, I could imagine somebody who was like me back then listening to this podcast now and being like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Yeah, get a job, man. Like, you know, shut up, stop complaining. Like, you know, you, you, you know, get yourself, get yourself together. You know, you're just being sad. You know, you're being a pussy. You're being a loser, you know, whatever, something like that. And it's like, no, you don't have the, you don't have the capacity to like have an open mind enough to really dive into all of, of, of sort of the emotional and an intellectual depth of, of the entire sphere of existence and what's happening. And I'm not saying that I'm somebody that's like, you know, some grand wizard that's able to do that. Grand wizard. I'm not, that I'm some like, you know, great, 
person that's able to do that. But I think the use of of mind expanding drugs, of consciousness expanding drugs, have have helped me get out of my head more and see things from a different way, and opened me up to reading about things from other people's perspectives and taking on that information, and then you know using it to weigh it against what I know about reality and come to my own conclusions about what I feel or what I interpret to be true. And I think that's one of the most interesting things that you can do because in a way I'm I'm sort of like, you know, I'm sort of like a scientist <laughs> taken out of context context that sounds horrible. Mike Brancatelli, I'm sort of like a scientist. No. But uh I you know, I'm sort of like experimenting with myself and I'm saying, okay, let me get as much information as I can and bring it back to to see if it relates to my experience. Is this true? Is this false? Does that add up? Does that make sense? And if it does, if it checks out, if it seems like it, it it's you know if it agrees with me, then I you know proceed with the the necessary next steps. You know, and I think so. There's you know there's also this quote that I love by I think it was Joseph Campbell that says the madman and the mystic swim in the same waters. The only difference is the mystic comes back and the madman drowns. And, you know, I got to be honest, oftentimes, I f- sometimes I feel like the mystic, but oftentimes I feel like the madman and I feel like I'm drowning. And, and I think it's just this, this overwhelming sense of like, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? What, what the hell is going to happen? You know, I, I can't seem to make any, um, you know, for example, one of the things I think about is, earning an income, making a living, right? And it's just the, the whole notion of, and I think maybe at, you might have heard me like rag on Aubrey Marcus sometimes like on, on the show. And I think it's because a lot of the times like, you know, these sort of self-help, um, you know, go out there, you know, you can do it, get, get things done, these sorts of like own the day and, you know, that kind of stuff, these sorts of people, I think it's all well and good. And I think a lot of the things that they, they preach is, is really great. You know, it's really great. Wake up in the morning and meditate and do breathing exercises and then, you know, take a cold shower and then exercise and then run and, you know, read a book a day or whatever it is. And all these things that, you know, a lot, not just Aubrey, but people like that, you know, these, these entrepreneurs that have made it and they're telling you, a way that you can make it, you know, if you just, you know, take these supplements or if you develop this morning routine, Tim Ferriss, you know, wake up in the morning, you know, journal, you know, have a, have turmeric tea at night or, you know, swim laps instead of run or whatever the, whatever the advice is, drink butter, coffee, this, this thing, you know, that's all well and good for the, the people that have the freedom and the time to sort of live these sorts of, you know, entrepreneurial life on their own terms people. There's a lot of people that are really well off out there that can do these sorts of things, you know, or that they have an idea and they're passionate about that idea, about a business, something they want to sell, some product that they can offer that they can then make money in return to, to build some sort of career. And then you have the people out there now who a lot of people are just trying to get followers, just get as many followers as possible, you know, Instagram followers, and then people send them things to promote promote and then they make money that way and it's this advertising and you know we're 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 living in this sort of sort of like you know predatory environment every single aspect of the society that we live in, in in this in this day and age whether it be offering student loans to 17 18 year old kids who have no idea what they're getting into because they've been indoctrinated since birth to accept a certain version of reality that's been programmed uh, in them by the state and the state's cronies 
to accept things as the way they are, to just be obedient serfs and, you know, accept like a, a debt, uh, you know, basically be saddled with debt. You know, the, these kids, they can't make, I, I couldn't make the right decision at the time about college. I just figured, you know, I've been told my whole life to go down this path. And if I didn't, then you'd be a, a bum, you'd be a nobody. So I figured, why not? You know, we live in this society where people have credit cards and, you know, everyone's taking out these student loans and these sorts of things. So I'm, I'm just giving one particular example, but, you know, when you're, when you're sort of living in this, in this environment that's like telling you all these things, you know, there's, there's, there's an underlining level of predation. There's a fundamental level of preying upon other people in order to, you know, for the benefit of someone else, right? And so the, our whole society functions on how can, we, how can we get more business? How can we earn more profit? How can we get, you know, something off of somebody? How can we get someone to be, you know, for in Facebook's example, Facebook wants to know how can we get people to stay on Facebook all the fucking time? That's where they make their money because then advertisers will see how much time people are spending on Facebook. This is what they do. And they want to advertise there because they, the eyeballs are there. Wherever there's, there's, there's a mass group of people, that the way that our society is set up is that, that we look at that group of people and say, what can we do to get something out of these people to benefit us? Instead of what we should be doing is say, how can we serve the needs of these people so that they can feel good and they can feel happy and that we can all live in a, um, in a peaceful, productive way where we're actually collaborating and competing with each other on a friendly level where we're not taking advantage of other people. We're not all you know, saying, well, that's the way it is. So you work for an advertising company where you're, you know, your client is you know, ExxonMobil and you're like, hey, you know, this is, this is what I feel like is, uh, you know, but it doesn't say it doesn't sit right with you. But you're like, hey, I need to pay the bills. You know, I don't know. I'm not really sure if this is the, or you work for a weapons contractor, you know, you work for Raytheon or, you know, hey, it's a job. It pays the bills, right? And that's the sort of attitude that, that everybody has to take on because that's the game rules. If you opt out of that game, if you get off that path, well, there's nothing left for you. Right. And it's and not everybody can be a CEO, an entrepreneur. You know, not everybody has the time. So people have to go to these jobs. People have to do things that don't that they don't agree with, that they don't believe in, that they don't want to do. And then that causes suffering and hurt. And in my particular situation, I decided to step out of that and say, I don't care what happens to me. I'm not gonna compromise my integrity. I'm not gonna get involved in situations that, that are humiliating and degrading to me. I'm not gonna give my most valuable resource up. My my time to something that I don't fully believe in. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. The only thing that matters to me is spreading a message of, uh, you know, spreading a message to people of what I see in this world and hopefully hoping that somebody resonates with it and is able to look at the world a little bit differently so that maybe they have the courage to go ahead and do something that they're capable of that I'm not. You know, someone out there that's smarter than me, somebody out there that, 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 you know, has different sets of skills and from a different background and, you know, just that's the reason why we exist, right? I mean, if, if I look at this world as a game, I look at it like the 
probably one of the biggest challenges and the most exciting challenge for me is saying not how can I dominate, control, and win the game, but how can I join and unite with other like-minded people to inspire people to 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 reach for things that they didn't think that they were capable of or you know just just get a message out there that maybe helps people look at things in a different perspective and then causes more people to work together to join together to to really stand up for what is right and and take a stand for what they believe in and then you know change the entire mode of the game change the entire change this game to a whole other game one where the rules are written in a completely different way that seems like way more of a challenge than just playing this game according to the game rules and seeing if you can get to the top that's way easier right if you compromise yourself if you if you start to do things that you don't fully believe in if you start to do things that you don't really want to do and and one of my favorite people of all time, Alan Watts says, you know, we get into these situations where we go to this job that we don't want to do so we can make this money so we can live, you know, in, in, in a house that we have to pay for our whole lives. So we have a car that brings us to the job that we don't really want to be at. So we wind up spending all this time doing things that we don't want to do in order to help get us out of situations that we can actually do things that we want to do. And he's like, but we spend all this time doing the things that we don't want to do. You know, we're working, we're, we're spending all this time doing these things for hoping to get to this moment where we say, ah, this is the real moment of life here, only for that moment to go away. And then we go back to doing these things that we don't want to do, right? It's like, what kind of life is that? Spending your life doing, you know, what kind of, do you really live your life as you if you spend the entire time living it for somebody else, doing things that you, you don't want to do for somebody else? If you if you're living a life where you're not really being honest and you're being and you're not really being true and you're not opening up and you're not talking to people and and communicating your version of the truth and your version of reality to them and collaborating with them to build on that and to build new ideas and if we're constantly putting masks on and sheltering ourselves away well are we really living you know and I would say no we're not you know I think that's where a lot of the 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 ailments of our world come from is like we're not we're not joined together in a communal way where we can work towards a common goal to bring about the only thing that really matters in this life, which is increasing the amount of joy, decreasing the amount of suffering, increasing the amount of time that we have to spend with the people that we really truly care about and that we really love, and to get as much joy and happiness out of that as possible. I mean, if those are the good feelings that we can feel as human beings, then why are we not trying to always get into situations that, that produce those feelings? I mean, I think every person really wants that to happen. However, the, the, the structure that we live in, like I said, is predicated off of being predatory. So they set the tone. You know, They set the tone for the whole thing. They, they're like, this is, the, this is the way things are going to go. If you behave and if you go along with it, then you can, you know, maybe you can get out of this. But if you, if you detach yourself and if you don't, well, then you're going you're gonna to face rocky waters. So what I'm saying is it's a lot easier to face rocky waters when we're joined together, when we're united as a, with a common cause, with a common purpose and a common mission. You know, and to me, that mission is liberty. You know, liberty and freedom, freedom from oppression, oppression of, of 
you know, a higher uh, people in higher positions of power selling us and enforcing their their will on us uh, a particular version of reality and saying that if we don't conform to their version of reality and play by their rules, well, then we're going to suffer consequences for that. And, you know, if you really start to suffer consequences from that, you can wind up in a cage like an animal. We will, you know, their, their, their entire, uh, you know, this entire system that we've either, you know, that we sort of like passively accepted or tacitly accepted is one predicated on force. You know, do what we say or else. Do what we say or else. And that creates, I, I, would, I would make an argument, and I'm trying to make the argument, that that creates most of the stress and tension that we experience in our lives. Even if we don't know it, it's there. You know, we have to do these things that we don't want to do. We do these things that we don't want to do, and then we feel isolated. We feel alone. We feel like we have anxiety. We feel like we have depression. Then we need to take some kind of medication or we need to self-medicate in some way. And so we drink more and that causes problems. Or we take medication and that gives us headaches. And then we have to, you know, or we get suicidal thoughts or whatever it is. You know, these medications, they have side effects, you know. And, and, and nobody really cares because the big pharma industry is making over $100 billion off of this stuff. You know, so... So I can't help but look at the world and see these larger systems at play that are keeping everybody, that are making it really, really difficult for everybody to, to get their head above water. And, you know, so I'm thinking about like, well, what, what can I do? You know, and so I don't necessarily want to be a part of the problem by adding, you know, some product or, you know, working for some company for, to help get, you know, people more, you know, social media likes and things like this, because I believe that's a part of the problem. You know, unless uh, I could find something that was really, really aligned with uh, my values and my beliefs. Um, you know, and this is, by the way, this, you know, Read this book, Lost Connections. You know, it's really, I mean, you know, he has quotes in there from the, the, the World Health Organization, the United Nations saying that, you know, the dominant biomedical narrative for depression is based on biased and selective research outcomes that, wind, that cause more harm than good. They undermine mental health and cause more harm than good. We need to move on from focusing on chemical imbalances and work on fixing social imbalances. Now, you know, that's a, that sounds a little scary coming from the United, uh, United Nations because they're like, oh, well, you know, we need, we need to improve social connections with people. So we need to like, you know, we got to talk about like one world government type stuff or whatever. You know, they, they can interpret that in, in any way, right? And usually what happens is when people want to sell you things that have, you know, that they sound good, they sound like, you know, they're, they're packaged with good intentions. There's really, a, you know, a, a deeper purpose to that which is always control and, um, you know, status people, because that's what, that's what we all want in this world, right? Like one of, you know, Johan Hari was saying in this book that, you know, we want, uh, status and respect. And, and a lot of the ways that people know how to get status and respect is by climbing the hierarchy, uh, of this game, cr climbing to the top of the pyramid and, um, and dominating the, the, you know, the status game that they've set. And they'll do anything, you know, by hook or by crook. They'll do anything to get there and they'll do anything to stay there 
because it's really, really, it's more difficult to go down in status once you've achieved a certain level. To go down is, is uh, you know, is, is unimaginable to these people, you know? And um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's one of the ways, uh, that's one of the things that, <laughs> one, this is, these are all the things I'm thinking about. Um, and then he talks about the disconnection from a hopeful or secure future. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about all these things and when I'm trying to come up with a way out, I'm not seeing a hopeful future. You know, I'm not seeing hope. When I go on social media and I see what people are liking and what people are posting, you know, people want to see nine-year-old Asian girls who can't even drive Lamborghinis, you know, come out, come out of one and, and talk about how she's the, the most ball and ass flexor and throwing dollar bills everywhere and, you know, the, the music and the culture and, you know, the reality TV and, you know, the nature of our politics and the nature of political discourse and civil discourse. It's all degrading. When I look out there, it's degrade. It's just a wasteland. It's an absolute wasteland. It's absolute madness. People are, people have become insane. And it's not surprising because we are so cut off from our natural environment. We are so disconnected from what really nourishes our spirits and our souls and really gives us real meaning and purpose to live in this world. And it's a battle. It's a fight. It's a struggle for many people out there, myself included, which is why I'm talking about this. So that's, uh, that's what's going on with me. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, having this moment of realization and having this sort of aha, like I feel, I feel like I've gained a certain level of perspective of this situation. Now comes the part of like, well, I, I need to do something about this, you know, and, and I appreciate when, you know, people send messages, if you, if you send messages and you're, you know, expressing your concern. I really do appreciate it. Um, and, you know, it, it's, I think that this is something that I have to try and walk the walk of the mystic and not the madman. I have to try and swim to shore and I have to do whatever I have to do in order to get there. And for me, I'm looking at this as, well, if there's something that I'm going to do in this life, it's going to be sharing and spreading ideas and talking about things that I feel are important, like what I've been talking about now. And in order to do that, it's going to take me a lot of work to get there. And in order to do that work, it takes a certain degree of isolation, as McKenna said. It takes to have this sort of sanity, takes a certain level of isolation. It takes a certain level of being cut off because you're spending a lot of time, you know, reading and, and researching and taking notes and, um, you know, trying to understand, you know, these ideas. And for me, the, the things that I'm going to look forward to and the things that I'm going to start to do more of is to try and get into areas where I feel like I can be more a part of a community and connect with people out there. Because currently, I'm, I'm very disconnected from anybody who's, who would be around me in, in, this, in this area to, uh, to speak with and to, to talk with on, on a more regular basis. 
Um, and so that I think is going to be the, the first step in sort of rehabilitating and trying to stay on the steady path. Uh, you know, because I can't stress enough and, and, you know, I had, I hadn't released a podcast episode for about two and a half weeks. And, you know, I love to do this. I love to do this. I love to have interesting conversations with people and I haven't reached out to anybody because I've just been in a hole, you know, and it's one of these things where really nobody can help me except for myself, you know, you know, the, the, you know, people out there that, you know, they say like, oh, you know, if you want someone to talk to you, you can talk to me, you know, that, that, that's, that's okay. But I do a really good job of rationalizing. I, I do a really good job of separating myself from the emotion and talking about it in more of an abstract way of depression. Well, you know, depression, I'll cite books and I'll talk about these things, but really I need to connect deeply with the, my feelings and my emotions. And that's been really difficult for me to do. And instead of doing that, I become irritable. I become angry. I become depressed. I become nihilistic. And you know that, I mean, obviously I am depressed and that just fuels it. And so um, you know, recently someone sent me a message and they, you know, were, were asking to come on the show and I, I sort of like snapped at them. And, you know, although I do disagree with some of the implications of, of what they said in their message, I really responded in, in an impolite and rude way. So, um, you know, today when I, when I smoked and, and I went in the pool and I just had some time to like be introspective and really go into myself and get into the feelings and the emotions, I, it really came to mind. And I said, wow, I was really an asshole. I really was an asshole there. And I don't want to be an asshole. I don't want to be in this position where I get sucked into a depression and then I do things that causes me to, you know, burn down bridges with people and burn down bridges with relationships and then, you know, uh, disconnect from friends and, and things like that and pull away from community because that only causes me to go deeper into a state of loneliness and despair. And then I have no one to connect with and no one to reach out with. And, and, and this is, this has been going on. So, uh, you know, I, I know that this is what I have to do now is to, to take the appropriate steps in order to make sure that I get myself in a position where I can, you know, function in a, in a very, uh, that I can function. I mean, really is really what it is. I need to be able to function. And if talking about, if, you know, talking about these things and, and reading up on, you know, for example, I read, uh, recently, you know, I really wanted to, I really want to write a book and I, and I really want to put these thoughts and ideas together into one cohesive piece. Um, and one of, one of the things that I'm most passionate about, I've brought it up on the show now a couple of times is, is education and schools and schooling and compulsory education in this, in the student loan scam and this whole thing. And I, and I, and I, when I, when I get into this stuff, it just, reaffirms, you know, my, my initial feelings and beliefs. And it gets me really worked up. It gets me really emotional. And, um, when I get that way, I get angry because I feel like I've been, I've been had, you know, and, and in a sense, we all have been had, you know, we, this, we've been, we've been really sold on a false bill of goods for many things in our lives. And I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on that. You know, I don't want to get lost in that. I want to figure out some solutions, some real solutions. 
And one of the only real solutions that, that I can really think about is, you know, that, that really does work is to just sort of, and, you know, this might be a part of my process, a part of he, the healing process is going through this tougher period that challenges you. Because it, it's not easy to go against the grain. It's not easy to go against everything that's being pushed in your face by this mainstream media, you know, pop culture, um, society that, that, like I said, is based on this predatory model of force. It's very difficult to go against that. It's very difficult for me. Um, so... And I think it's I think it's very difficult for for a lot of people. Um, so I think that you know I think one of the best ways of combating that is simply just saying no. You know, is simply just taking a stand. And and I think suffering the the consequ- consequences that come along with taking that stand by you know tr- choosing to get your get yourself involved in something that works, you know, something else that, um, that goes with the grain of, of how you're feeling. And so that's going to be my solution is to try and get with the grain of how I'm, uh, you know, the sort of like-minded people out there, the, the companies, the organizations, the, the things that, that people are doing out there that, that maybe not perfectly align with my values and, and my beliefs, but are in a, in a similar place of alignment. And then I can go from there. And um, so, once again, I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody for for listening, and I'm and I'm sorry for not getting uh, an episode, you know, these episodes out sooner. Um, I'm I'm going to start to reach out to some more guests, and I'm going to start to, um, you know, put some good things together um, for this show, uh, and um, you know, putting I'm going to be putting into practice getting back into a healthy state of mind. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be blissful and I'm going to be happy, but I know that I need to serve a purpose, and that purpose is to be informed n- enough to talk about the things that I want to talk about on this podcast and to have the conversations I want to have on this podcast so I can deliver you guys good content. And if I, as long as I keep that, that mission there, then I have a reason to, to keep going and to keep doing it. Um, so with that being said, the next solo episode that I want to do, I want to talk about some of the things that I talked about in this podcast. I want to talk, get into a further discussion about, uh, or I want to further elaborate on, on maybe my story of, of education and schooling and, you know, refer to some things that I've read and some information that I've gathered about schools and how they got started and what their real purposes are. Uh, and things like that, and then the student loan scam and and this whole thing. So maybe I'll dedicate certain episodes to these things that I really want to talk about. I was thinking about doing sort of like uh, podcast episodes where I read a couple books and then I try and, you know, talk about and elaborate on more about those books and kind of put it into my own, put my own spin on it, put my own story into it. Um. Anyway, I hope this uh, this podcast was was okay to listen to. I know it was sort of uh, uh, one of those like talking out loud, sort of discussing my own issues podcast, but uh, it was helpful for me to to get it out there. And um, you know, I again like you know I'm I'm not I don't think we're gonna have any real solutions right away, but I think uh, you know coming up with a, a plan to 
work for for a better uh, chance of arriving at more sustainable, lasting solutions uh, to combat you know, deep feelings of disconnection and depression and anxiety and loneliness are going to be a topic that I'm going to be talking about quite a bit and something, a project that I'm going to be, you know, working on to get myself, you know, straightened out and, and functioning. Uh, so thank you everyone for listening. And, um, you know, if you like the show, please go, go leave a nice review. A uh, five-star review would be great on, on iTunes. I would really appreciate it. It would really make me feel a lot better. Please have sympathy for me. Um, really baiting you there but uh but yeah no if you like the show please let me know and um and go and tell people about it and stuff and uh let me know you know maybe ideas for people that you would like to see me have conversations with and we'll try and get those people on i also have a patreon page if anyone wants to go there and contribute man it sounds really weird trying to like do this pitch now after a lot of the things i said but it's like hey man i need to I need to I need to do a little bit of promotion, I guess. I can't just. I mean, I wish I could ex- exist as this, you know, wizard out in the middle of the forest. That would be nice, but uh, no, I I can't. So if you want to go to my Patreon page, it's Patreon.com/slash Mike Brank. And uh, yeah, if you do, if you donate as little as a dollar a month, it's uh, it makes a, a huge difference. Um, really, uh, you know, really, I think the Anthony Bourdain suicide thing really affected me. It kind of compounded on, compounded onto the the feelings that I was having already, uh, and um, it just left me in a really dark place. But uh, I'm feeling a little bit better now. Thank God to uh, thank you for, for for putting the beautiful cannabis plant on this planet. And um, yeah, thanks to everybody out there. Uh, I love all you guys. All right, till next time. Peace. <laughs>